going through uh, the week of the last week, Holy Week of the Lord's life, and looking at the different days and how what was happening in those different days. We put it up on Facebook, and by the way, uh, it's interesting. More people have seen it on Facebook than would come to church uh, on a Sunday ever, so that, that's, that's been interesting to me. Uh, but as we look at the week and what's happening, here's, here's the thought and here's the heart. We're trying to get in the mind and the heart of the Lord. Where is he uh, with all this? He was a real person, uh, living a real life, and in some senses he knew way too much. Uh, he had no hope that the week would turn out well. He knew exactly uh, how the week was going to turn out. Uh, he knew what was going to happen. He knew where it was headed. And yet we see somebody who does two things. First of all, he's never a victim. He never acts like a victim in this whole week. And the second thing uh, <clears throat> you notice about him, he maintains a heart for people that never quits even though if there were ever a reason to be depressed, he had that reason to be depressed because of the way things were going to go that week. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll just catch up on where we're at, and then we'll go dive straight into tonight. We'll have the Lord's table. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight, Lord? We do love you. We thank you, Lord, for your working in our hearts. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for uh, saving us. Thank you for the cross and all that it means to us. And Lord, we come from the workaday world today. We come from all that's going on and the busyness and, and all of it. And Lord, we do pray. We just settle our hearts now. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you lay hold upon us and draw us close to you? And Lord, would you work in our hearts? And oh Lord, may we enter in uh, to this week with you, Lord. And may we glean something new of you, Lord, that would help us get to know you better and help us to live for you and to serve you. Now, Lord, would you bless in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's just recap. On Sunday, we looked at the uh, triumphal entry, and the Lord came <clears throat> into town presenting himself as king, knowing he would be rejected. But nonetheless, he, he offered himself as king, and they rejected him. And um, <clears throat> we saw him then curse the fig tree, a symbol of Israel. And um, Israel was going to be cursed because of the rejection of the king. And then <clears throat> on Monday, uh, we saw where he came in, and he, 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 he cleansed the temple. In a sense, he took possession uh, of his father's house, and um, he cleansed it. They, they, they questioned his authority uh, on Tuesday, and they, uh, but you know what? They can't stand against him because he's the Lord, and somehow they know that. Uh, as much as they hate him and as much as they desire to kill him and are going to kill him by the end of the week, uh, they realize that. And then <clears throat> uh, he, 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 he teaches several parables, and he preaches a sermon that just reveals the Pharisees, where they're at and what they're doing. He's very harsh and hard on them. But I don't believe he's harsh and hard on them because he hates them. I believe he's harsh and hard on them because they need to see where they're really at. And then he talks to his disciples about the end times uh, and what's happening. And then on Tuesday night, he goes back to Bethany and he has uh, dinner in the house of Simon the leper. And that's where we come into the story here uh, on Tuesday night. I'm going to go through Tuesday night and then we're going to go through uh, Wednesday. Now you're saying, didn't he die on, uh, on Friday? I don't believe he did die on Good Friday. We're not going to argue about it, but I don't believe he did die on Good Friday. In Matthew 12, verse 40, the Lord Jesus said, that three, he, the, the, uh, the Son of Man would be three days and three nights uh, in the heart of the earth. And if you take a Friday date for the, for, the, <clears throat> for the crucifixion, there's no way that you can work out three days and three nights. You can, you can get three partial days, maybe, uh, but you can't get three nights. But <clears throat> you can take uh, uh, a Thursday date for the crucifixion. You can get the three, day, three partial days and three nights in. 
And if you go with the traditional Friday <coughs> uh, crucifixion, uh, you end up with a Wednesday that, of this incredible week, and nothing's going on. There's nothing recorded about it but the Wednesday if you go with Friday, uh, which is just unbelievable. I mean, there's too much uh, this week to be done, too many lessons to be taught, too much, uh, too, too much work to be, be done for the Lord to be doing nothing uh, on that Wednesday. And I think if you work two Sabbaths in there, the, 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 if you have two Sabbaths back-to-back on the, uh, in that week, you end up with a Thursday uh, crucifixion. Now, you don't have to agree with me on it, uh, but I think that works. That works. Definitely, Matthew twelve forty is the one that swings it for me because I can't go with the idea uh, of partial day. Uh, I can't go with the idea of just three partial days and two nights uh, on it. So I will leave that with you, though. Right? <clears throat> By the way, we're looking at So if, if we go at that, then Wednesday is the day of the Last Supper. It's an extraordinarily busy day for the Lord. Uh, he, is, he, he is moving. He is doing so much. But we start in Matthew tw- chapter 26, uh, and we start on the Tuesday night in the house of Simon uh, <clears throat> the leper. Um, and it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now let me just point this out to you. He has been telling them all along that he's going to die. They're not catching it, they're not getting it, they're not understanding it. He has been telling them over and over again that he is going to die. But they don't get it. I'm not sure that you and I would get it either. Uh, Jesus was a hero. He was the hero of every moment uh, in his life. And whenever he went up against the Pharisees, uh, he always put them to flight. He always was wiser. He always had answers for them. Uh, you know, the, the, there was nothing uh, that, that, that ever showed weakness. And they couldn't conceive of the idea uh, that they would best him in the end. And so he's telling them, he's been telling them all along that he would die, that he would be buried, and they would be raised three days afterwards, uh, but they don't get it. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they don't want to do it uh, on the feast day. They want to avoid that uh, because there's a crowd in town, and they want to avoid this week. But you know what? They're not actually the master of what's going to happen this week. Jesus is the master of what's going to happen this week. He's going to die on the Passover. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Uh, he's our Passover. He's our sacrificial lamb. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. <clears throat> now, uh, this is Mary. Other accounts tell us this is Mary. And Judas... Uh, actually uh, priced it at being a year's wages. So we know from Judas that this was very expensive. Uh, this was, you're looking at thirty to 50,000 euros worth of ointment. And there's an immediate reaction amongst the disciples uh, to it. Uh, <clears throat> but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, John again tells us that it was Judas that was behind this, and he wasn't behind it because he cared for the poor, but he was behind it because he's the one that carried the bag, and he was a thief. So he's looking at the situation, and he's thinking, this is ridiculous. All this money has been wasted uh, in uh, being poured over him. And when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? 
for she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not. For in that she hath poured this ointment unto my body, she did it for my burial. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how Mary knew what was going on. Everybody's getting the same message. Jesus is telling everybody that he's going to die. I mean, he's already said it uh, here early in the chapter in 26 that he's going to die again. Somehow, it appears that Mary realized this was it. That he was going to go to the cross. This was it. That he was going to die this week. That her time with him was short. And in an extravagant, outlandish gift, she takes and breaks this ointment and pours it over him. And Jesus says she was anointing him for his burial. To realize that the smell of the spikenard it was would have still been on his body when he went to the cross. That she's, it's that close uh, now. And um, <clears throat> we don't know why. But Mary seems to have been more tuned in than any of, of his disciples what was going on with him. She seems to have understood where, how things were unfolding and seen it. And he said in verse 13, Verily I say unto you, uh, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also be this, that this woman hath done be told of for a memorial of her. And you know, many great things have happened over the world <clears throat> and are forgotten. They say that there's a tomb uh, in Jerusalem and uh, they call it the tomb of Absalom. They know it's not, but they don't know whose tomb it is. Right? It's a very expensive tomb. It was built uh, with lavish expense uh, for a man to be remembered and he's forgotten. But you know, every one of us knows the name of Mary. And every one of us knows the story that uh, she broke the alabaster box. And she gave it to her Lord. And you know what? We need to keep a lesson in mind here. We can never give him too much. There's never going to be a day when you or I give too much to the Lord. There's never going to be a day when we sacrifice too much of ourselves for the Lord. That's, that's something that's going to be remembered to you through eternity. So don't hold back. There are moments when another account says she did what she could. You know, there are moments when you get an opportunity to serve your God and serve him with a full heart, with a whole heart. Give your all to him. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest. Now, somehow, this is the defining moment for Judas. He probably has been thinking about it. He probably has been considering it for some time. But this is the defining moment for him now. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not standing up for this waste. Uh, he's, he's offended at this waste. He's offended at this money that's been wasted. Uh, he sees the tide turning against the Lord Jesus, perhaps. He realizes he's not going to get uh, the kingdom he was hoping he was going to get. And he turns against the Lord Jesus. And <clears throat> he goes to the, high, to, to, to the chief priests and he said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. The king of glory, 30 pieces of silver. After walking with him for three years, after seeing all that he was and all that he could do, even so, Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And it's amazing that Judas valued money in his hand more than his Lord. But you know, He's not the last one that's done that, is he? 
He's the most notorious. But isn't it true that oftentimes we as believers value something else more than him and we'll turn our backs on him so that we can have our pleasure, so that we can have what we want and disregard him? See, it's interesting. For Mary, he was invaluable. The most precious thing, the family heirloom, everything she had, he was worth it. And for Judas, he was just worth 30 pieces of silver. And he sold him out for the 30 pieces of silver. You would see them a second, though, that Jesus doesn't give up, even on Judas. <clears throat> By the way, have you ever considered this, that Jesus knew from the moment he chose Judas that this moment was coming? Wouldn't that be hard? I mean, it'd be a bitter pill uh, for him <clears throat> to sell him out like this, uh, even if he didn't know it was coming. But from the time he first met him, from the time he fed him and cared for him and looked after him and taught him and helped him, he knew Judas was going to betray him. Didn't stop him from loving him. Isn't that amazing? You know what you see this week when you look at the Lord? You see, he's the hero. He's really the only hero. There's no one that compares to him. Every, even in this moment of crisis, this moment when he's facing, and we're going to see the agony he's facing is real. Even in this moment, he's still a hero. He still rises up, and he's bigger than all of them. Verse 16, and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now understand that, that now Jesus has got a follower who's watching out for the moment to betray him. And the moment has got to be a moment away from the crowd. Right? Uh, the Pharisees don't want the crowd around when they do this. They want to do it on the quiet and deal with the situation as quietly as they can. They don't want it to explode and go viral. Uh, they want it just to be dealt with as quietly and as quickly as they can. Can you imagine trying to deal with the king of glory quietly and quickly? I mean, the stories never stop being told. Uh, it continues on even to this day. Uh, verse 17. Now, we're, now we're, we're into Wednesday now. Now, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to such a man. Another account tells us uh, it's a man bearing a pitcher. And I think the reason he doesn't tell them where to go is because all the disciples are around. And do you know the supper would have been a perfect opportunity uh, for the Pharisees to come and get him. So he doesn't tell. He tells them, go, you'll see a man with a pitcher. Uh, ask him to show you the room. Uh, and he leads the rest of the disciples to the room later. Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples, uh, John and, and Peter, did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, <clears throat> when the evil was come, he sat down with the twelve, and they did eat. And as they did eat, he said, Verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. 
But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And remember, he's saying that while he holds a sop up, a piece of bread up for Judas to take. And Judas knows exactly what he's saying. Now think about it. Why is he saying it to Judas? He's giving Judas an opportunity to turn it around, even at this late stage. He's giving Judas the opportunity because, you know, he loves Judas even. How does he do that? How does he care about this betrayer? How does he care about this one who for 30 pieces of silver would gladly sell him? And yet he does. Isn't it so easy for us to hate? I mean, in all honesty, haven't you had moments where you hated Judas? Because of what he did? And yet the Lord doesn't hate him. He warns him. He warns him and tells him, Don't do this, Judas. Don't do this. This this, this is not going to be good. Don't do this. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now, let me pause there. At this point, Judas leaves. And he goes off to sell him. He goes off to to make his deal uh, with the Pharisees and to lead him uh, to the Lord. And then he's going to institute what we call the Lord's Supper. Right? Uh, He's going to give us something that's going to be a memorial and it's going to be a picture, and it's going to be an ordinance, a command, something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to partake of the Lord's table. We're supposed to partake of the supper. Uh, It's interesting that the institution of the Lord's supper is covered in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then Paul covers it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he got it from the Lord, he tells us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's pretty important stuff for us. This is pretty, impo- pretty important that we actually uh, do this. And <clears throat> let's read through it and talk about it as we go. Um, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what he's doing is he's taking the bread, and it's an unleavened bread because this is Passover. Uh, He's taking the unleavened bread, the bread uh, that has not risen, that doesn't have the leaven in it because leaven is a sign of sin. And he's taking that bread and he's saying, this is my body. And then he says, takes the wine. And the wine represents his blood, which was shed for them. And he's making a new covenant in his blood. And he's giving them a picture, and still they don't understand. So much is going to actually fall into place, you know, <clears throat> like uh, for the disciples after he's gone. They don't understand what he's doing right now. But <clears throat> this, his blood is going to be the new covenant, the New Testament. And we need to remember that. Nobody gets saved by living a good life. We never could. That was not the plan. 
the only way for us to get saved is for to trust in what happened at Easter, to trust in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. If there was another way, God would have done it. But there wasn't. So he sent his son to die. And Jesus took your sin and my sin and bore it in his body on the tree. So when we come to this Easter season, what we're doing is we're remembering the price that was paid for us. Now we're going to get to the glory of Easter Sunday very soon here. But we're remembering the price that was paid. How bad is your sin? Well, look at Jesus on the cross. How much does God hate your sin? Well, look at Jesus on the cross. When we look at him, we, we see, we begin to understand what this issue of sin means. And the fact that Jesus died for us means it was hopeless. There was no way that we could pay for ourselves. No possible chance. So he paid for all of it. And all you and I can do is trust in what he did. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The greatest miracle of all is that we could be saved. And that's what Jesus did for us that night on the cross. Now, let's break our reading now. We're going to come back to our reading. We're going to take the Lord's table right now. So I don't want you to think we're going to take the Lord's table and then we're going to be finished, all right? Because we're going to take the Lord's table and then we're going to finish reading about this night. But this is the point uh, where we have the table. So let's, let's actually partake of the table right now. So Tony and Vincent, if you would come and help me with the table tonight. And we're going to do what he said to do, this do, in remembrance of me. We're going to remember him tonight. Now let me say a couple of things to you as, <clears throat> as we're getting ready for this. On the night uh, of the Last Supper, the Lord obviously would have passed around a cup of wine. And everybody would have partaken of a common cup. Now we don't do that. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, we've changed that for hygiene reasons. That will kind of gross us out a bit. But I want you to understand that that's part of the idea. Part of the idea is that there was a common cup. And there's a unity involved as we partake of this table. Right? Second thing I want you to remember is this. We're partaking of something that remembers the price he paid for sin. So sin is an important issue. You know... (coughs) He had washed the disciples' feet and he had told them they were cleansed. We need to be clean coming to the table. Now, listen, we're not saying we need to be perfect. We're not perfect and we'll never be perfect. But for us to hold on to sin in our hearts and come to the table is just awful. If there's sin between you and your Lord, this is a time for getting rid of it. And yet it's so easy to get rid of. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to ask you tonight, uh, as we come to the table, we're, going to go do, we're, we're not going to take a long time about it, but as we come to the table, we'll give you a chance, by the way, uh, to share a testimony about what this means to you uh, as well. But as we come to the table, you know what? Take a moment and ask the Lord to cleanse you, cleanse your heart and make it right. Because this is important. We're remembering the death of the one that loved us enough 
to die for. When the song says, in the cross, be my glory ever, do you, do you realize that our only glory is in the cross? Apart from the cross, uh, we are sinners bound for hell. So if we have anything to glory in, it's the cross. It makes life very simple. It makes life very real. I, I glory in the fact that Jesus died for my sins and paid the price. You know, that stops me from glorying in a whole lot of stuff that's nonsense. Because I'm a sinner that deserved hell. But Jesus died to pay the price of that sin. And I've received that salvation. I'm going to heaven. Let's take a moment and we will ask the Lord to search our hearts. And by the way, as you search your hearts, let me encourage you. That I realize some sensitive souls get all caught up uh, in their imperfections. You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. What you're looking for, is there anything that you're holding back from the Lord? Anything that he wants you to do that you're saying no to? If there's something like that in your life tonight, I would ask you to either make it right or to either make it right or just don't partake tonight, right? Don't, don't, don't be afraid to, uh, not to partake, all right? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for these that have come. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Lord, apart from it, we would, each one of us, be hopeless and helpless. But Lord, because of it, we have the hope of Easter, Easter Sunday. We have the hope of salvation. We have a sure hope of heaven. Now, Lord, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Lord, we want to be right with you. We want to be clear and clean with you. Lord, would you protect the sensitive soul, Lord? And would you work uh, with those that are not sensitive? But, Lord, may we all be clean before you tonight. In Jesus' Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord. We accept uh, the promise of cleansing. Bless the rest of our time in Jesus' name. Does anyone have a testimony tonight <clears throat> that you want to share? particularly about this week and about what it means to you and what, what Christ and, and the salvation. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the remembrance of the precious blood that was shed. And bless us, Lord, as we continue on tonight in Jesus' name. Let me just take you through the, um, <clears throat> before we sing, we've got two more verses we're going to sing, but before we do that, let me just take you through the rest of the events uh, of that night. Um, <clears throat> and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Now, <clears throat> Jesus was telling them what is written. It was true. What he's saying to them was true. They, uh, they needed to accept what it was that he was saying. Sorry, we're in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. But they can't take it. They can't look at themselves and see themselves like that. So they all reject it. Right. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee, in verse 32. But Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter saith unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Now, we, we know Peter made the promise and, and broke it, and we, we count uh, Peter as having betrayed his Lord, but every one of the disciples did the same. And, you know, the, the strange thing is that when he said it to them, they should have accepted it. And God tells us something. He's right. He's always right. There's no way for you or I to overcome what God says. There's no way for us to be bigger, bolder, stronger than what God says we are. 
I wish I'd always done that. I wish I'd always taken on board what God said and not <clears throat> tried to go my own way on certain things. When you get it in the Word, that's the truth. And the thing is, because they wouldn't accept what he said to them, they, they missed the resurrection in the sense of the hope for it. Because he said to him, you're going to betray me, okay? But after I am risen, I will go before you. Well, they reacted to the, you're going to betray me, so they missed. But after I'm risen, I'll go before you into Galilee. And so they're going to have a horrible time. And it was unnecessary because he was telling them what would happen. And he knew. He always knows. You know, when God tells you something's happening in your life, he's in charge. He knows. He always knows. You can trust him with it. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Now, I'm glad I don't know the future, aren't you? I'm glad I don't know the pain I have to face this week or next week. I'm just glad. Uh, I'm so glad that for the most part it takes me by surprise because it's easier for me. The, the, The Lord had no cover. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew the intensity of the pain. He knew the physical pain. He knew the spiritual agony. He knew all of it. Which meant he would experience it before he experienced it. And so as he goes into the garden, he goes into the garden with a heavy heart. And I'm not certain that it was the physical pain that caused his, this reaction. I think the physical pain was definitely serious and, and he knew it, but the physical pain would be short-lived. But something was going to happen between Jesus and his father the next day that he couldn't bear. Jesus and his father were going to be separated because of our sin. The perfect son of God who had enjoyed perfect fellowship with his father since before time began. Never broken fellowship. It was going to be broken because of your your sin and my sin. And he goes into the garden with a heavy heart because he's facing this. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So very human. If it's possible. Did you ever come to something you were dreading? And you wanted it to pass away. You wanted it to go. You wanted not to have to go through it. That's what Jesus is doing. He's facing something and he doesn't want to go through it. But see the heart of this man God? See what he says? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He could fully imbibe what it was going to cost him, fully to the last drop. He could understand that he would prefer it didn't happen. And yet he surrenders to the Father's will. What a Savior. What a God. What a man. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Have you noticed that the hardest times in your life, you're on your own, that nobody seems to quite understand? Nobody seems to quite get it. Jesus is in that moment now. Here are his disciples, and they're all turned upside down. They don't understand what's happening, and they're tired. It's been a long day, and they don't get it. So they do what you and I would do. They fall asleep. They fall asleep in the prayer meeting. Just in the moment when the Lord wanted somebody to back him up, the three that were closest to him, he wanted them to back him up. But they can't even give him that because the flesh is weak. And he came and found them, verse 43, asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, and he said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? They came, they, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him away. Now John recounts a story that's, that's interesting here. Uh, Jesus speaks to them and they all fall backwards. Do you know what that's demonstrating? They didn't take him. He went. They couldn't have taken him. There wasn't enough power on the whole earth to take the Son of God, the King of the universe. He had to give himself. And he did. Now, why did he give himself? Because of you and I. Because there was no other way. Because there was no way for our sin to be forgiven. There was no way for us to be reconciled to God. There was no way to heaven apart from that. And you say, oh, well, he died for the sins of the world. Well, that's true. But he died for the sins of David O'Gorman, and he knew my name, and he knew my sin. And he died for your sin, and he knew your name, and he knew your sin. Nobody's ever loved you like that. And nobody ever will. That's the relationship that you need to develop, work on, and enjoy. Because nobody can love you like that. Do you know that part of the pain for Jesus was that he would be forsaken of the Father? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But do you know that he was forsaken by the Father so that you and I never could be forsaken by the Father? Isn't that wonderful? He took even that for me. That's the relationship. You see, you will sometimes feel like you're on your own, but you're never going to be alone. Because he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what he asks you to go through, he gives you a promise, I will go with you through it. Isn't that wonderful? 
But we have a wonderful Savior, a wonderful Christianity. Verse 50, uh, verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. This is Peter. And uh, that's what you'd expect of Peter. He's kind of the man of the moment and he's kind of uh, <coughs> full of desire and passion and he, he tries to chop the guy's head off and chops his ear off instead. And, you know, we kind of laugh at Peter, but I think there's more of Peter in us than we like to admit I think there's more of bravado oftentimes in us than we like to admit. I think it's hard for us to admit our weakness, our total weakness. Peter's going to see his weakness. He's going to see it in technicolor. And he's going to feel like dying over it. But it's actually going to be the makings of him. He's going to become the man he was uh, because he sees his weakness. Then said Jesus unto him, Put again thy sword... Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to the Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? He was never a victim. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled, and they led him away. And they, they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And he's now in the hands of his enemies, of those that hate him. And they're going to do with him as they will, because he loves us. And he wanted us to be saved. Bible says in Hebrews, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross. You know what his joy was? His joy was that you and I would be his. Isn't that amazing? What a savior.